Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. In chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus and his inner circle of disciples were travelling by boat across the lake from west to east, when a sudden storm seemed certain to sink the boat and drown them all. And when Jesus calms the storm, Mark tells us his disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now in that episode, the disciples go from distress of what seems like certain death to the comfort of calm and safety and then to yet more distress as the immense power that Jesus commands over nature starts to sink in. And this realisation, Mark tells us, fills them with great fear. And that's hardly surprising. I'm sure it would have filled me with great fear as well. Now this morning we're looking at what immediately follows that incident. It's what happens when Jesus and his inner circle complete their lake crossing to the eastern shore of Lake Galilee. From taming a wild storm, Jesus now tames a wild man. And in this way, he demonstrates his sovereignty over all of creation, including us. In crossing to the eastern shore, Jesus and his disciples go from a predominantly Jewish region and culture to a predominantly Gentile region of Greek culture. It's a confederation of ten cities colonised by the Greeks following Alexander the Great's conquests in the 4th century BC. And as we see in verse 20, this region is called the Decapolis, which is Greek for ten cities, Deca, Polis, ten cities. And this explains why there's a herd of pigs nearby, something you would not find in the Jewish regions. And that's because, of course, under the law of Moses, swine were religiously unfit for human consumption. So what happens in this episode, it's got to be said, is one of the strangest and the most confronting of Jesus' miracles. A man is possessed by demons who migrate into a herd of 2,000 pigs who stampede into the sea and drown every last one of them. Now, it's, it's easy for us in the 21st century of modern scientific thinking to be sceptical of such an account or to dismiss it outright as superstitious nonsense. And even if you accept the biblical account at face value, you might feel shocked or deeply offended at Jesus, of all people, orchestrating the mass suicide of 2,000 pigs. I mean, what did the pigs do to deserve this? And and what about the economic hardship that this must have suddenly brought to the owners of the herd and the swine herds? It's, it's hardly surprising that the locals plead with Jesus to leave 
I mean, what disaster will he bring upon them next if he stays in the neighbourhood? Now, all of this makes it a difficult story to grapple with. But I believe, like the rest of the Bible, it's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our instruction and benefit. It's worth the grapple. So let's give it a go. First, let's remember that all of Jesus' recorded miracles, including this one, are in a sense acted parables. He uses miracles to physically demonstrate things about God and things about humanity. In other words, the visible acts of Jesus point us to invisible spiritual realities. And secondly, if you want to understand what's happening in this episode, well, you need to take off your modern scientific spectacles for the moment and put on the ancient science spectacles of biblical times. A modern clinical psychiatrist might diagnose the distressed man that Jesus encounters as having a particular sort of mental illness. But there are no clinical psychiatrists in first century Palestine. Such concepts were unknown in ancient science. Nevertheless, one thing is as clear to the ancients as it is to us. This man is out of his mind. Listen to Mark's description of his condition. He tells us he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore and not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now Mark paints a heartbreaking picture of a deeply disturbed and a deeply tormented soul. Truth to tell, it could be describing more than a few tormented souls in today's world, including right here in Melbourne. What's left of our maximum security psychiatric facilities hold inmates, some inmates, like this poor man. A modern psychiatrist would use modern terms for his condition. Mark is an ancient writer who naturally uses ancient terms. He tells us the man has an unclean spirit and is demon-possessed. The bottom line is, this man cannot function in any way that we would describe as normal or constructive. He's driven to self-harm. He's constantly in extreme distress. He has no comfort at all. You could say his life is hell on earth. The man sees himself as demon-possessed. When, when Jesus asks his name, he replies, My name is Legion, for we are many. Why Legion? Well, because a Roman legion had up to a thousand soldiers. He believes he's got a multitude of demons within him. 
Now notice here as we find elsewhere in the Gospels that demonic spirits instantly recognize Jesus for who he truly is. While, while normal human senses and rational reasoning, reasoning veil Christ's divinity from our eyes, the spirit world sees him clearly. And so this demon-possessed man runs to Jesus, falls down before him and cries out in verse 7, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you by God, do not torment me. Matthew's account of this episode adds a further question. A question put to Jesus by the man. Have you come here to torment us before the time? That's in chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel. And Luke's account tells us that the demons beg Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. You can see that in Luke 8. So here's the first lesson from this episode. See, even the minions of Satan know Christ to be their ultimate ruler who they cannot disobey and who will, at the appointed time, utterly destroy them. But there's a flip side to this, and it's this. It means we are never utterly helpless. We are never beyond the rule of Christ the King. Nothing and no one is more powerful than Christ. So whether you fully realise it or not, you affirm this whenever you pray the words that Jesus taught us as we prayed them this morning. Deliver us from evil. Or as it can also be translated into English, deliver us from the evil one. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you pray against the power of Satan. You pray for deliverance from spiritual darkness and torment. And this is an essential petition of the model prayer handed down to us by Jesus. The power of Jesus over the spiritual forces of darkness is spectacularly demonstrated by what happens next. In Let's, let's listen to Mark. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. He gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. You see, whatever had possessed the man was powerful enough to cause 2,000 pigs to suddenly plunge to their deaths. But even such a destructive power could not do this without divine permission. No wonder, as Mark tells us, the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And what they find absolutely rocks their world. Listen to Mark. And they came to Jesus 
and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. So the witnesses to this amazing miracle are testifying, however reluctantly, to the fearsome authority and power of this man Jesus. And the very thing that brought sweet comfort to the distressed man has wrenched the locals totally out of their comfort zone. Now it's them who are distressed. Or to put it another way, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings comfort to the distressed and distress to the comfortable. To put it bluntly, the loss of the pigs is more important to them than the welfare of one tormented man. But it's the complete reverse with Jesus. And Jesus never tried to hide this fact. The idols of our hearts, our worldly possessions, our status in society, our approval in the eyes of others, all of these things are challenged by the gospel. For some, the gospel is salvation and comfort. For others, it is threatening and distressing. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells us plainly, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Inner peace to those who turn and believe the good news, yes, but not peace to worldly desires and worldly pursuits. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. The sword he brings is the very word of God, which the writer to the Hebrews describes in these words. He says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul, of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So there is both comfort and distress in the power of the gospel. Lastly, this amazing episode teaches us that when you give your allegiance to Christ, you are, in fact, Christ's to command. The man who has been delivered from evil by the power of Christ quite naturally wants to be with him wherever he goes. Wouldn't you? I know I would. Listen to Mark. He says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been, pos had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit it. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This man is to witness to the gospel among the people where he will be most effective. The people who knew him in his tormented state 
and who can see for themselves the change that's come over him. It's not this man's preference, but it is Christ's command. And he obeys his Saviour and Redeemer. And so Mark tells us that he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So let me ask you, what has Jesus done for you? In how many ways and on how many occasions has he turned your distress into comfort? The inner peace and the spiritual comfort that passes all understanding. And when was the last time you shared something of this with anyone? Family? Friend? Workmate? Neighbour? Or stranger? When was that? Perhaps... Just perhaps Jesus' command to the rescued man points each of us to do likewise in our own way. When he says, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Amen. And thanks be to God. You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne.